Musky School is back in session. It's another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want to check out that company, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And my co-host today is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. If you want to check out that company, visit MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Brad, summer's over. It even feels like summer's over. It's uh, for anybody that cares. I'm not exactly sure on the release, release date of this episode. I think it's somewhere around mid-September, so we're early on this one. We're finally getting ahead of the game a little bit. But anyways, Brad, it's, um, well, no, for lack of a better term, it's we'll just call it like September 1st. So summer's over. I mean, it's not technically over. It ends up in like whatever, the 20th of September. But as far as the weather is concerned, uh, summer is over in my opinion. And it feels like it. I know in the Midwest where I've been, it's been nice, pleasant. I mean, very pleasant. So let's hope that continues. Sure, Jeff. I mean, I love the sweatshirt on for the first time yesterday in a long time. So you're exactly right. Yep. It was sweatshirt weather, and I know I spent the night at my camper. My good buddy Steve Jensen got married, so we shot over there. A little shindig, not too many people, very uh, socially distant, I guess you would say, all outdoors. We were not near many people, but anyway, so we went over there with my family, and uh, the weather was nice, and then we came back and spent the night at my camper, and I had to turn the furnace on in the camper and everything like that, so it's, yeah, it's going to be fall real soon. Like you said, sweatshirt weather, I know the upcoming week will be more of the same and uh i mean i fully suspect that by the time we have to record another podcast that i hope that the season turns for especially for me because like i said it's it's been not great and i know that i've talked to many people that have had similar issues it doesn't sound like brad is one of those people and i'm assuming that our guest for the evening kevin goldberg hasn't had that problem either but uh we'll find out for sure i'm i'm like i said brad i'm assuming that September was much better to you than it was, to, or August, I should say, was much better to you than it was to me. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> how do you measure that? You know what I mean? I, I am fortunate enough that I get to spend a lot of time on the water, and I, I've done that throughout the whole month of August. And I was basically on some fish that uh, some good patterns and things really turned out really well for me. So, yeah, I had a solid August. I'm excited about September. It's one of my favorite months of the year. And it's upon us. So good stuff. Yeah. I'm unlike you. I spent most of my time for September. Uh, I keep saying September. It's not September. Maybe I'm just so excited to get on with the season, but um, I've, I didn't spend much of my time on the water in August. I spent much, much of my time in the uh, shop as I've done a lot of this year. I've spent way more time in the shop this year than I have probably the previous two years, which I guess is good or bad, depending upon how you want to look at it. It's good because we're still selling fishing lures and we very much appreciate the support, but it's bad and it limits the amount of time I have on the water. So my success has been, I would say, very limited. Well, you know, it's one of them deals that it's kind of hit and miss, Jeff. You know, you talk to a bunch of different people out there. There's some pretty good bites out there if you put your ears out and start listening. So I know in northern Minnesota, there's been some really good bites. I don't know. Just got to check things out, listen, and you're going to find some fish, basically. For sure. So anyways, without any further ado, let's uh, let's get Kevin on the phone. I know he's waiting there for us to uh, have another conversation. So I'll dial up Kevin right now. Sounds great. All right. Our guest tonight is Kevin Goldberg. Kevin, unlike most of the people that we talk to, has no affiliation with a guide service, a bait company, and nothing 
I mean, as far as I guess if we were going to label him, we'd call him a weekend warrior, but he probably gets on the water as much as Brad. Uh, the last time you talked to Kevin was episode 27. I just verified it. So if anybody's looking for more information on Kevin, his background, or what he had to say the last time, check out episode number 27 of the Backlash podcast. So, Kevin, I think actually your introduction is, um, I could say, underrated is what I would say on that one because you're one of the probably more talented guys uh, we talked to about musky fishing, and you're definitely not a household name. But anyways, we uh, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk fishing with us. I know I heard lots of compliments from the last episode that you did with us. And so in kind of keeping with our theme of revisiting conversations that we had had previously, and then we always say, hey, we should have you back on sometime, and then we never have them back on. Well, we're getting some of those guests back on that we said that about. So, Kevin, thanks again for coming out and talking musky fishing with you. I hope that you're having a great season. Why don't you let us know a little bit about that? Yeah, you're welcome, guys. I appreciate you having me back on again, too. I enjoyed it the last time, and uh, I'll do my best to hope we can cover some more information and some new topics for this one. So, but yeah, it's been a uh, it has been a really good season so far this year with the uh, uh, with the COVID situation. There was a lot of people uh, off, and a lot of people have been fishing, and myself included. Uh, I had about oh eight weeks there where we weren't. We weren't doing any kind of window installation and uh, kind of had a lot of extra free time to fish. I know my friends tease me now saying I'm semi-retired, but I truly was for about eight weeks there and it kicked off a, a really good season and it's been uh, probably on track to have one of my best years I ever had, uh, number-wise for sure. So our home lakes were good and lately, uh, all my trips recently, I've been pretty much just going up to New York there to my camper, uh, as of late. And, uh, that's where I've been doing my fishing, but I've been just trolling lately and uh, getting ready for the fall trolling, which I know something we wanted to talk about, uh, for this episode. And, uh, it's leading up to be a good year up there for my, uh, most of my trips recently, we've been catching a lot of nice fish. The numbers have been down, but you know, if you're getting three, four fish in a day, at least it seems like one of them has been a nice one. So, uh, it's off to a good start. So I'm hoping it continues through into the fall. I always like it when we talk to guys that say, ah, uh, yeah, the numbers have been down. We're only getting three or four fish a day, but they've been nice. Like I, that's, that's nice. Cause for me personally, I would take any one of those three or four fish day. I haven't had one of those yet. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just, like I said, I know we talked about that. It's just the, our lakes out here are, yeah, it's always hard to get a big one, but boy, they do have a lot in them, you know, like they just do. They're kind of put and take fisheries. And now Chautauqua where I go, like that's a natural lake, but they still stock a ton of them in there. Um, they say some years as much as 25% natural reproduction occurs, but uh, all in all, you know, they stock a bunch and the lakes get hit hard, but there is a lot of numbers in them. So, but yeah, if you guys want, uh, if you want to start, I mean, I could, we could start talking about uh, from like mid-September on, if that's good with you guys. You want me to start with that? I would say that's about where we'd go. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I do have one question real quick, though, Kevin. You know, sure. you're talking about those fish and the fish that you're fishing, the bodies of water. What kind of forage bases are you dealing with out there, Kevin? Well, my home lakes here in Ohio – those are all, it's primarily shad, you know, gizzard shad, uh, threadfin shad, you know, that's my home lakes. But then where my camper's at in New York, that 
is basically a perch panfish lake as far as the forage. It's loaded with yellow perch. There are some schools of white perch, some years better than others. Uh, it has the bluegill crappies, and then there are suckers, walleyes, and stuff like that. So that's the natural lake that I spend the most amount of time on. Uh, everything else I'm at around home is just shad-based reservoirs. Okay, that makes perfect sense. But I, you know, is there a an abundance that uh, maybe causes some of that bite to sway a little bit? You know, you're saying that, hey, we're, you know, we get one, it's a good one. But uh, is it, are you finding that with an abundance of bait fish like that, you kind of sometimes struggle to get that bite because these fish are full? Yeah, that's actually a, a good point because I was just having a conversation with this. Uh, about this with a buddy of mine, uh, Dave Classley, he's a guy that makes the Marge bait, a big deep dive and crank. I just had him up there, actually. And he's been there a long, lot longer than I was. You know, he's quite a bit older than me. And we had that conversation on the boat there this week. Uh, he was talking about, he's like, man, I remember back in the day, we wouldn't mark all that much out in the main basin. You'd see, like he said, what he figured were some carp, uh, you know, big walleyes on occasion, sucker. But there wasn't like tons of big schools and clouds of bait. And uh, it sounded like they got a little more, but the size uh, was probably a lot more like that 38 and down. They would get some nice ones. But uh, it's funny you say that because now it seems like, yeah, they might not be biting as frequently. But one thing he noticed when we were out there, he's like, God, he's like, I mean, what are these clouds of bait? I'm not used to seeing that. I told him, well, there's a ton of like emerald shiners that have taken off. I mean, you just see the balls of those up high. Uh, so that is one like kind of newly introduced. I don't remember seeing those years ago, and he definitely didn't. Uh, but even like with the perch panfish, as strong as that population is, I think they've got so much natural food that it is a little harder getting bites, like getting it going. But when you do get them, they are a little more quality and, of course, have a nicer frame on them. The fish have been pretty thick this year, you know, even the summer ones. So, yeah, it's, it's funny you say that's exactly what we were talking about. So, Well, well it's, it's always been amazing to me. You know, I think speed plays a factor in that then as well because I've, I've said this numerous times, and I know I've said it on the podcast, but, you know, does the fat man run to the fridge or does he walk? And I, I mean that, meaning that uh, – when they're so full and they have so much forage in front of them, you know, do you become stagnant? You know what I mean? Hey, I don't need to rush to get my food. Um, and I kind of see speed playing a factor in that. And then you got to keep in mind that there's kind of a bell curve, if you will, in the bait fish population. So you got that three to four year period where it's really peaking and it's really good. And then it kind of dwindles a little bit and it comes back and, you definitely see that in your in your catch numbers too. I think anyway. For sure, no, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, and it's uh, you know that's funny with the speed thing. You know that's one thing this year uh, compared to some, and maybe it's the amount of you know who knows. But I have tried some uh, like going fast, like you know five and over, um, which normal years that's, that's always can be pretty good. But this year. I haven't had too awful much luck with that. Um, I've been catching some in the, you know, mid fours, four, six, and a little higher. But, like, I've tried five numerous times when it was struggling. Because it used to be if I wasn't marking much and I was seeing the occasional fish uh, and not tons of bait, I think I would go buy them fast. And just for the fact that it was a meal zipping by, they'd grab it. 
But it seems like with the amount of what's going on on the screen, bait fish wise, it's been a little more. I've been finding myself and what I know it's it's still fast, but uh, I'd say a slower to steady pace for me. You know, the clipping along really just hasn't been drawing the strikes. It's kind of like dragging through there with all as much as going on. I think it's been better off just to keep a steady pace and be working whatever screen you got that looks best as far as big hook wise, you know, um, been a little different for me this year with that. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Kevin. I, and I know you're one that pushed the speed envelope, which I think we talked about in the last podcast. So, and I know uh, some stories about that. One being Billy Beekner that we, <laughs> you kept bumping up the throttle on him and he didn't know what to do, but uh <laughs> Hey, yeah. put fish in the boat, right? So, it does. you know, the, the neat thing about being able to go fast too is just how much more water you're covering. You're going to, you're going to end up putting that bait in front of a, a multiple fish's faces versus maybe one or two, you know? That's for sure. Cool. Well, That's I didn't mean to totally interrupt the whole conversation. I, I'm ready to go on the mid-September, but I, I did want to understand that forage base before we kind of got going here. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you asked that because, uh, like I said, it was a topic we had just talked about, so it's fresh in my mind. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as moving forward for the for mid-September on, uh, I'm going to pretty much start with uh, New York and then work my way back just because I'll basically give you guys what I've been doing and what I do most years. Um, so for me, mid-September now, um, I'll be back in New York and on the natural lake, and we'll still be trolling. Uh, now, I'll still be going pretty fast at that time. Um, I'll keep it, you know, I'm not going to change much. Front sometimes I'll slow down to like maybe four, two, four, three, but for the most part, I'll still be trolling at that decent clip uh, and kind of just covering water. And it seems like in the fall, like one of the, the lower end of the lake is a shallower, a uh, little more stained. And it seems like that can turn on a little bit more again come September. When it gets hot, dog days of summer, I leave it alone, you know. Uh, it just seems like it gets boiling down there. So I kind of get excited about doing that again. And, and about every September I do that. Uh, and we don't change too much there that time of year. I mean, I'll say if anything, you know, I break down like we get three lines a person. And I always say like break out, breaking down the spread it's like I'll do three and three, uh, like three bigger, three smaller baits. Uh, and then I noticed lately I'm already getting to about that. It's getting that way. I'm three and three, but come September, I'll probably start doing four and two, you know, four bigger baits, two smaller. Uh, but when I'm talking bigger, I'm only talking like seven to nine inch. Right. And then for smaller baits, I'm still always running you know, four and a half, five inch shad baits too. You just always, I always do. Um, so that's about the only change for me come September is I maybe introduce one more bigger bait into the spread. Um, but pretty much that time I'm doing like, there's two basic trolls that I do on that, on that lake. And, uh, one of them is going down that shallower end and I'm trolling, oh, it's, you know, 15 to 17 foot of water, uh, that I'm in. And I'm usually trolling somewhere between seven to 10 down for the most part. So as far as in the column, uh, that's a steady bite for us. It's a good pattern. Uh, you, you obviously could get, we get some numbers, but we also get some nicer fish that time. 
And then also the other bite that I do at that same time is I'll go to the other end, the deeper end, and uh, it's just big open water basins up there. And when I'm up there, I, I feel like I just naturally run a little more with the bigger baits just because of the water I'm in. Uh, but it's a lot more of you're in at least mid-20s to like about 38, 40-foot you know, depths as far as the contours I'm running and we're longer lining stuff and running more of that 18 to about 25 foot down. So that's another bite for us come September that I'm looking forward to coming up here. So, and that I usually do that right until about, Oh, with the water temps now, like when I was up there, they were 74 so I know it's starting to get some cooler nights. So pretty soon here, luckily, we'll start getting down in the high 60s. And I'll kind of keep with those two patterns till about turnover, you know, give or take. I mean, I might change a little bit, but that's the, the gist of the main two that I'd be running until turnover. Turnover time, you know, I usually go cast, just I go shallow, like extremely shallow and stuff just for that time period. But that takes me into when, you know, I feel like true fall starts, which is uh, then we get into like early to mid-October on that. Like that's about when it starts to stabilize after the turnover. So, um, but that's about it for September. So ask, how deep are your main basins? And then on top of that, what can you give us with the thermocline, Kevin? I, I'm curious. Um, I'm curious with the thermocline, you know, are you seeing fish go below the thermocline? And if you do, you know, how dangerous is it? And kind of, you know, with your bait depths, what you're talking about and trying to get them down into that area. Um, okay. I'm just curious if you see issues with that. Okay. Um, well, I don't see any at all on, like I said, the lower end of the lake. I think it's, uh, you know, there I don't see it at all, but it's shallower, right? I'm only in 15 to, like, the deepest part is about 18 feet, right? So there's no real issue there, and you're not pulling them up that deep. But on the other end, where I was saying it is a lot of, you know, that end has water as deep as 70 feet, and I'm in a lot of mid-20s to about 40, and a lot of fish, you know, it's like I say, a lot of times we're pulling 20 foot down and stuff. I will, I will see an issue like if it's obviously in the summer, uh, but come mid-September, by then, usually I never see an issue. Like, you see the thermocline kind of like, like dissipating. The, even if you crank up the sensitivity, the line is not strong. You don't see the fish all hunkered in one, like, just below it. Like, a few weeks back there, uh, early August, I mean, you could see them. They were like pinned in one zone, about a four foot depth zone where everything was laying. And I know that's where the oxygen was. You could see the thermocline that was real dominant presence and you knew it would be dangerous pulling anything up out of there. Right. But once we start getting those cooler nights and getting some wind and blows things around, like I said, even when I crank up the sensitivity, you'll see it like kind of dissipate. Uh, and then the fish are spread more throughout the column. Like, as soon as I start seeing hooks, like, coming up in, like, 15 feet of water in that open basin, it's, like, a sigh of relief for me. I'm like, ah, we're there, you know? I don't have to worry anymore. The releases are really good. Uh, like, a lot of times there, anyways, I primarily, unless it's a nice one, a lot of times I am just kind of water releasing them. Um, 
but like that time, even if I get someone up that doesn't get the fish off and I have no problem putting it in the net and letting them, you know, the fish just always release well. So that's one nice thing about that time up there. Once it starts cooling, it's pretty safe bet. So I don't see it the same as I do just a few weeks back to answer the question. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you see those fish go below the thermocline at any point, Kevin? Not really. No, not, not that time of year. I really don't. They're usually uh, in it or above, you know, they're usually right. just at the line, like the, the band. So they're within that band. I'll say, I don't see them really below it. Uh, if I do, I feel like it's really super inactive or something, or I don't get those fish. But if I see any kind of band at all where the thermocline is, they're usually right within that zone or just above it. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I just was curious. I, I had a couple things happen earlier this year. Our thermocline was developed, and I, I swear, I mean, looking at side imaging, I pretty much was like convinced that I seen a bunch of mus muskies that were maybe 10, 15 feet below the thermocline. And I'm mm -hmm. like, man, I, it's just weird because you know, there's a thermocline. If you got a ton of bait and that baits there, um, you're like, well, there's the thermocline. I mean, it's pretty easy to see. And you said you turn up your gain and you can actually see what, what we're talking about. But I'd swear I've seen quite a few fish that are like pushing it and they're like 10 feet below the thermocline. And I was just curious what you had to think about that. Okay. Now, were you able to catch any of those? Um, I have actually, Kevin. And, and you know, that's where it gets scary. And fortunately, our surface temps weren't that hot at that point. And I, I pretty much shut it down at 78 degrees, 79 degrees uh, surface temp. So, but it's it's remarkable that we see some of those fish that deep and i'm like man i just i've picked a few people's brains about this thermocline deal and uh it's kind of weird there's there's not a lot of information out there about it no um see so like when you're talking that had to be like that was like that summer bite and like for summertime when the thermocline is a little more down and i see it, i'll see them down a little more uh when it is hotter like, it'll change here for when we're talking coming up, but I will see them more like a few weeks back. I will see it, I'll see fish right on the bottom, and sometimes we'll drag bottom. Like, there's times when I'll let out baits until I hit the bottom and get the black least on them, and then I'll go back and troll through, uh, just crank it up a few feet, and I catch fish, and you can see, like, like mud on their belly. They're laying in the bottom. So I know what you mean. I've caught those fish. Now, when it's hot, I try not to do it though, just because, uh, that's why when you were asking if I caught them like right below, I usually don't want to talk just because I'm worried that it's like even more so dangerous. But, uh, later on and even before it gets too hot, there's times when there's the bite stuff, I'll catch those fish that are down below it, but we'll drag like right to the bottom. Uh, I remember one time telling Tony Spicker a story. We were at St. Clair and I was telling him about doing it. He went home to his home lakes and tried it. I told him, I said, I oh, just let the Frankie out till you hit bottom and just crank it up a few feet. And he started telling me, he's like, man, I was catching fish. They were like laying on the bottom. I, I was getting some of those marks because we'll see them on the graph, right? It just, you'll see a little color right on the deck and uh, right on the bottom. And uh, we've caught those fish. But like I say, only time I do it comfortably is when the water is a little bit cooler. I'm not as worried that because they seem to like to relate to that. And they are. If you crank up to see the, the thermocline that's left, they are still, it's quite a ways below it, you know. 
but I'm just too paranoid when the water's hot to do that. That's all. So I'm in the same boat. Uh, you know, it's it's screwy to think about. You know, and if you read anything about the thermocline, they're like, no, oh, the oxygen level's too low. They they be there, but you hit it right on the head, Kevin. That's exactly what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. Like I I don't do this enough. I should. Like I have that Klein finder. I bought one of those. Um, and I always forget to do this, but I'm like, you know, sometimes we're on a real hot bite. I should just remember to check that, like on the reservoirs compared to like the natural lake I fish. Cause like I'll go up to like Georgian Bay in the fall and I'll drop down that Klein finder there and I'll read the same water temp from the surface to 30 foot down, give or take a few degrees, right? It, it'll hold like temp like that. Now, I know when I'm checking in my lakes around here, it's not like that. You know, I've done it numerous times to manually, you know, I'll write them down and see what the thermocline is. Like, But I should do that more often when the bite's good because I'll have a good bite and I'll be like, oh, surface temple 75. But I'd love to I'm gonna try to start remembering that. I'd love to know, like, what it's actually going on below, like, when that bite gets good, you know? Like, what was the difference there? So, because it's funny how some lakes, like I say, where I fish, there's no change at all, you know? especially in the fall. So uh, you sound like me, I should take better notes and I don't, I, I know it would, it would definitely benefit me, especially when you're struggling and you're like, man, what did I do last year? What did I do five years ago when I seen this, but I'm horrible <laughs> at keeping notes. So I, uh, yeah. I just struggle and fight through it. It's, it is hard to do. Like this year, I'm doing better job. I'm keeping track of fish again, at least, because I figured the way the year's been, I should probably keep track for a change. Because we used to do all of that, the logging and everything, but I don't so much anymore. But this year, I decided just to keep track again. It's nice just to keep track of the catches and the trips and stuff like that, you know? So, um, but yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. I mean, like I say, for September... Um, going into October, like I say, that takes me up to about when the turnover actually is. And then after turnover and things stabilize again, that's the time I really start getting excited. Like I love fall fishing. Um, I always have, I always fish till at least like Christmas, you know, I always push it late. I mean, I've just never done anything but that. Um, and part of it's, you know, our lakes are open. We have no closed season. Uh, so I'll, I'll stay up and fish New York till, you know, that closes at Thanksgiving, but basically my camper, I'll keep open till, Oh, I don't know. I usually close it down in early November or something, but I'll still make a few trips up there and just stay in a hotel. Uh, but that's the time I really start getting excited. Once you start getting the cooler nights and really starts getting that, I like the foul weather, you know, um, when it starts getting that way, I just, it gets me excited because I know it's big fish time and, you know, I kind of wait all year for that bite, to be honest. And uh, I don't know. I always have a few trips planned that time. But I uh, usually in October, um, I will start fishing more. I'll start fishing deeper, uh, kind of like what we were just talking about. I will do some of that pulling down on the bottom. And, you know, if I mark fish down there, I'll go after them, especially if it's like inactive and uh, we're not getting bites. But I see the marks down there. I'll go down and get them and uh, we've been doing that for a long time. Um, but then there's times you could just go back up and fish 25 foot breaks and there's fish 15 down too. So that's the other nice thing about like, once you get past turnover, 
it seems like multiple bites turn on, you know, there's just that push for, you know, the fall feed bag they're putting on. And, uh, I like that time because it seems like we have more trolling options, but they all can be good. You know, there's nothing to worry about then. And, uh, it seems like the fisher, you get nicer fish that time of year. Um, both basins are good. And, uh, that's about the time we start finally starting slowing down. You know, we're doing a little more, uh, four, three kind of stuff and occasionally even a little slower, but it's a little more big bait time too. I'll run some 10 inch stuff then some 10 inch deep divers. Uh, but still, we still have a lot with the seven, eight inch and still some fours too, you know, like, I feel like we run those like a four and a half inch boss shad is pretty much, <laughs> I don't really take them off, you know? So that's like a staple for us, that kind of bait tough scubas like still run that same thing with the seven eight inch stuff same makers uh perch baits um blue waters i've been running some blue waters lately uh some of his new stuff sixes and eights and having some fun with those and catching nice fish um but then like i said i will start running 10 inch stuff at that time of year so and that those bites that usually continues on for me till about about mid-november and then at that point, I'll, I start heading back, you know, I pack up and come home and, uh, I'll start fishing around here. So, so I got a quick question for you. You know, you, you listed out some baits there, round lip <laughs> versus uh square lip. What's your thoughts there, Kevin? Uh, I think it's primarily just because of the, the speeds mainly, but, uh, for the fall, most of our stuff that I'm running anyways, uh, most of it has round lips. They just, they just do, you know, there's a few exceptions. Uh, like some have like that coffin style lip and a few squares, but I would say 70% of what I'm running at least is round lips. You know, yeah, that's, that's interesting to me. I, I, I bring it up only because I've had a lot of people tell me here in Minnesota, you know, you got to run a square lip or, or you're not, you're not going to catch, but I will say that, you know, as the fall progresses, I, I have caught some fish on, on lips over the years, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I don't know that I'm totally convinced on that whatsoever, but I, I just thought I'd see what your brain had to say about it. Yeah. I think it's, it's funny. Cause for me, like going to different places, uh, like, it's funny how much I even change what I'm doing. Like, I know that stuff, but then yet I'll go somewhere else. I'm like, oh, time for me to get the square lips out, you know? And uh, uh, it's just unique to the fishery, I think. I think part of it's the forage, part of it's the speed. Um, but, you know, running those little shad baits and stuff like that, perch imitating stuff is a lot different than running, like, the Tulabi whitefish imitators, you know? A lot different. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. But like I say, for for that whole time frame for me, it's a lot around the baits. It really is. Um, and, and then I finally, like I say, when I come home, then now you start talking. Oh, we get the water that's in the you know high forties and dropping. Like that's a good time uh, for home. So it kind of works out perfect for me. I get the boat home, and. Uh, and then I start fishing back around here, which I've left alone for a while. I mean, I get out on occasion throughout the year around home, but a lot of times I'm just cramming in my weeks to get back up to New York, you know? So 
this one time where I can kind of settle in and I get back to fall fishing around home. And it's funny you say that because like when you asked the question about lips, now that changes for me once I get back to our reservoirs. Like back to the Shad reservoirs, for some reason, uh, I'll do a mix, like maybe half and half. Because I do catch quite a few in the fall on minnow baits, you know? Like I'll catch them on, you know, stuff that has square lips and I'll catch them on, uh, like I was catching some on those, uh, what's it, the big shallow raider or whatever. I've caught them on those and catch them on Jake's and grandma's, which I know they, they still have a round lip, but it's still that minnow bait thing. You know, it's totally different action, right? So seems like they fall on the reservoirs. They, they do like that stuff. I will still catch them on some, uh, uh, some regular round lip, like deep divers. But it's funny, uh, one, once I'm back on the reservoirs, I don't run a whole lot of the small uh, shads. I really don't, which is strange, you know. But I know they're eating tons of them, so that's probably part of it. Uh, like on the reservoirs where I'm fishing, we pretty much have like there's two, two main things we do. Like I'll go up in the, in the creek channel, uh, any reservoir, you go in the North Fork, South Fork, you know, either one. And you'll, you'll see piles of shad up in there, uh, like just on the edges of the creek channel. And uh, I think it's because you're snagging them. I mean, I'm snagging these shad that are four to five inches like crazy. So it's kind of like I want to stand out in the crowd, you know. So for that time of year around home for me, I usually my shad baits, like the round lip deep divers I'm running, most of them are like seven, eight inch, you know just for none other reason than just to stand out, you know, I may like a real bright something just to stand out in the crowd and be about eight inches compared to the schools and schools, of four inch, five inch shad all around me, you know, um, we even had some luck on like headlocks and stuff like that, uh, in shallow water, like running 10 inch stuff, uh, where there was just schools of four inch shad, just because I think, again, it's standing out, you know, so, and that's been a good pattern for us for years. So once I come back home, um, I always do that, you know, and it works on any of the reservoirs I've been to. Uh, there's always that movement where they push those bait up shallow and there's tons of schools in the channel and uh, we just troll around the edges of those channels and I'm, I'm doing slower, you know, I'm going now and now I'm back down to like around three, eight to four, two zone, you know, unless it gets really cold, but. I'd say for the month of November, a lot of times I'm in that speed zone. Um, and I kind of, that's usually what I do. I just fish the reservoirs for that whole month. And then we get into the last month, which is one of my favorite. I love December, but that's the one time where I'll start venturing out, hitting a few natural lakes in PA. Uh, if I fish the reservoirs, I'll still go up in those, you know, creek arms once in a while and i'll still go up in the forks and fish the channel but i do i've been playing with this more so lately uh but i do like to just fish the main open basin i'll run like the deepest break and just flat out open water i don't see as many people uh i'm just looking for big suspended schools of shad and i'll mark hooks down there 12 down 15 down 18 down over 25 to 30 some feet of water and uh, it's more of a needle in the haystack trolling, but I like that, you know. I, I don't get as many, but I've taken some real nice fish doing that in the last few years. So that's kind of like a newer thing for me as far as reservoir fishing. For years, we just always pounded those ends till it closed up, you know. 
but I've been enjoying that uh, main lake basin stuff. Like I say, it's kind of, it's kind of, you're out on your own a lot of times. Don't see too many guys doing that. It's kind of like I do that in Pennsylvania, some of those lakes, just because they're not a reservoir and what have you. But so I've kind of like adapted that pattern to the shad based reservoirs and it's worked because uh, on some of those natural PA lakes, it is different forage. It's suckers and perch and, you know, walleye and things of that nature, panfish. But I've adapted some of that pattern in that late November, December uh, to our reservoirs, and it's working, you know. So yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff, Kevin. You know, you talked about running something a little bit bigger and, and uh, trying to stand out. That kind of sounds like Jeff, you know. He's always trying to stand out in a crowd. <laughs> that's, that's not working so well this year though is it <laughs> yeah i, I had I to like find that. a way i had to find a way to invite jeff back in <laughs> i was just waiting for you guys to handle the conversation you were doing fine uh, well what do you think jeff you probably got something i know i was talking a lot there but anything come up in mind when we were going over all that well one thing okay so the the one one thing i wanted to talk about was typically in we'll just we use Wisconsin and Minnesota. A lot of our listening uh, audience is from those two areas. So mm-hmm. in in our areas, a, a lot of these fish will push shallow when we start to see this cooler these cooler nights. Like we're getting, like we're starting to get now. We're finally seeing it in the last three four days. A lot of those fish yeah. will push shallow. They'll push up to those shallow weeds. From what from what you know and from what you've been around and you've been doing this a long time, is there still a out is you know is there still a bite on the outside edge? Is there still an opportunity for trolling during this time of this time frame for yes. people in the north? Yes, I think there. I, I think personally, I've always thought this. We've had uh, countless conversations about this with my buddies. I truly believe there's two different fish. Um, I feel like I've seen this a lot. Like when I was in Northwest Ontario, I see giant fish sometimes up in the shallows and I truly feel like they're digesting, uh, by just their reaction, their overall attitude. Um, and it's nice to see them cause you're targeting that water. But when you look at the lake as a whole, uh, you're going up there and fishing like, I don't know, 20% of the lake, maybe 30 and fishing all the bays and shallow reefs and stuff like that. But there's so much water out there that I just use that as an example because, the same kind of thing I truly believe goes on in our lakes. I do think there's two fish. I think they're, I think they'll, you know, move and use both zones, but I truly believe there's open water and like edge oriented fish. And I think there's ones that just relate to the flat out to the shallows. And like, that's a different, I don't know, different fish. I could see it in their colorations. You could tell when you're getting fish from that open water, their coloring's different. So even time of year, I feel like time of year is like a general rule of thumb, but, you know, when I'm talking about doing all these bites and these trolling, like out in open water, I still know, like I could go to those weed edges and troll shallow and catch fish because if I'm not trolling, I'll usually go cast the weed edge and there's fish there, you know, there still is. So it's neat on the lake I'm on, get to experience that because I've done them in the same day. I've been catching fish 25 feet down and then run up to the weed bed for the last two hours, and I'm in 12 feet of water casting the 7, 8, you know, and catching them. So I do believe that, and that's the same day. So, like, I, I do think that the guys in the north could do that too. I know there's that push shallow when the water gets cold, but I just don't, I can't believe for a second that all of them, you know, are really going there. I, I always feel like there's some fish in that open water. I really do. 
Yeah, because for us in the north, it seems like I rarely hear about anybody targeting muskies trolling in September. I mean, I'm sure there are guys that do it, but the general, the general, um, we'll say the mass audience or the mass anglers, they're going to push up shallow. They're going to do, like you said, they're going to be in 12 or less feet of water. They're going to be fishing those weed edges. They're going to be fishing shallow rocks because that's kind of what they do in September. That's a lot of it. I know, mm -hmm. obviously, it's different out in Green Bay. Those guys are, they've been fishing shallow weeds now for a month. So they're actually going to start trolling here pretty quick. And that's how they're going to get their fish. But Green Bay and, you know, the fish or the lakes up in the North Woods and say even in Northern Minnesota, they're probably two very different things in my opinion. But um, I was just curious, you know, what's your thoughts on it? You know, for people, I mean, there's people out there that are either, they don't want to, they don't want to go casting. So I'm, you know, just curious to know or trying to open people's mind maybe that, if there's whatever a pile of boats in shallow maybe bump off throw a couple trolling rods out or if you're taking a break for a couple hours throw a couple trolling rods out and see and i'm just trying to get people the confidence to actually go target that stuff because if they're like oh well all the fish are shallow you know mm -hmm. sometimes they're not going to go and do that stuff and obviously you know it is confidence is key in this sport it, it is and you know what when you were talking about that made me think of something which is could be a big difference too uh like on our lakes, when I'm talking around here, we have, they're pretty much milfoil, uh, weed beds, you know, that kind of stuff. There's some main lake points and there's some structure and some humps, but primarily we have milfoil, some, a little bit of like, uh, once in a while you'll find some cabbage on a few of the lakes, but primarily it's milfoil and that's what we have. So part of the difference might be like, because I, I know about that from experiencing it myself some, like I know when you go to Minnesota and that like there's a lot of, there is that push when you get that cool downs and the cold nights and the water gets cool and there those fish move shallow. But one big difference there compared to where I'm at is they have a truly unique shallow structure that we, we don't have. Like they have that, the sand and the sand grass and reeds um, and shallow reefs. Like, we have no shallow rack structure. It's just not even in the cards here. Um, so I think that could be part of it, too, that's unique there. Is that's really nice and fun way to fish to be able to target that stuff and throw, like, topwaters and blades in that shallow structure. Like, we don't really have that. You know, we're still casting weed edges if we're casting. So a lot of times I could just set right up from where I was casting and troll. But my assumption when you're in like Minnesota, let's just say, or even when, I don't know if Wisconsin is the same, uh, as far as if you have that same structure, but one of the things that would be hard, I'm sure on your mind is if you're catching fish in three and four feet of water, not like 12 or 15, uh, and you see where you're casting, it's probably, you start thinking, man, like, can I really get these trolling? Now, I don't know. Am I right by saying that too, Brad and Jeff? Like, is it that way out there? Are they coming real shallow? Because I think it is from what I know. Well, I mean, think about it this way, Kevin. It plays on your brain, right? You're starting to see all these fish shallow. Do I go out in the deep? You know, it, it, mentally, it becomes a challenge. That's for sure. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't know if there's such like two different fish. I know there's a few, okay? I, I agree with what you're saying there, but at the same time, I think a lot of these fish are traveling back and forth. I really do believe that. And um, No, I said I, I do too. I, I agree. I, I think there's some that just hang out there continually, and then there's some that kind of bounce back and forth, 
And yes, we'll see that big push here in September. It's amazing when those first cold fronts happen the last week of August, first two weeks of September, somewhere, somewhere in there, a three-week period, these fish will go ultra shallow. And it's based off of weather. I'm curious, you know, on the backside of this, what your feelings are on the moon. Do you think the moon has an effect on when they move? Uh, you know, I, I feel like, um, like we're kind of in that lull time now, but I do feel like, like you'll get that new moon of September and like that coincides with that cooling. And I feel like that could be like magic time for that shallow bite. You know, I think like all the stars kind of align with that. Uh, I've had some different success in the full moon part as far as that goes. But, like, I know I've tried to plan numerous trips on that new moon in September. You know, it's kind of like best of both worlds. Uh, so I do think it plays a part, you know. I mean, obviously, if the full moon just happens to fall early when it's cold, I still like something, you know. I always said the full moon feels, for me, not always the best numbers time, but definitely a time for big fish. It just has been that way for trips for us. Um, but, yeah, if I could have it the, my way I really want, it's, I love when the when the new moon falls uh, on that first cool down of September. I think that's like hand in hand one of the best, you know, at least around here. I, I totally agree with that, Kevin. I see it in October as well. And one of the things that, that happens in October on different bodies of water, I mean, it, everything's relevant to the water that you fish, correct? I mean, uh, I'll have one that has a, a really heavy thermal climb and mid-October can be really brutal. Then you have another one that doesn't have a thermal climb. And guess what? October can be like on fire. And you, mm-hmm. during that moon phase time, you will see these big blonde fish that you're talking about that probably don't come into the shallows very often. They show up and it's not every year but there could be some really special weeks when they do show up. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. That part about the whole, like how they move shallow and some are using both. And there's some that are like, cause like you said, I think it's unique to the body of water you're on, you know? Cause there, there is, like I said, there's some places I fish where there's like a resident fish that are just out in that open water. And if they do move shallow, you know, that's not their, you could tell the difference in their coloration. But then, like I said, I've seen the ones that you could tell are in the shallows, almost just using it as a digest place. And then they go back. So they're traveling back and forth each day. You know, I know there's been numerous studies done on that. So it's funny just how unique certain bodies of water are, you know, some are totally different. So hands down, hands down. Well, realistically, if we want to talk about fishing, you know, the muskies behavior, technically they, none of them really have, as long as they have food out in the open water, those fish could stay out there all year round. They don't have to come in aside from, you know, the one time a year when they're going to spawn, they don't, there's no, you know, absolute reason for them to all come shallow. They don't have to. That's right. That's That's exactly right. And, you know, one thing I will say that has, I've seen also happen and, and it's something that you guys could try or guy, you know, people listening could try, uh, I'm a firm believer in when fish get tampered with and they're getting baits thrown on them all the time and they're getting caught, uh, it just, it'll force them. They'll move. They'll go other places. They'll be caught somewhere where you never would expect and so on. So if fish are being, I don't want to say molested, but if fish are being hit hard, shallow, if everyone's out there pounding shallows and they're catching fish and everything, uh, I know just from doing it in the past that, there are fish that'll go somewhere else. If there's some, as long as there's a food source, 
if there's food source out there, I'm sure that the guys could try that just to try. And I'm sure there will still be some fish out there as long as there is food present. And like I say, some just do it for comfort and to be left alone, you know? Um, and, and I know that firsthand from like when I was, I used to talk to this one guy, uh, his name is Larry Hines. He worked for the fish commission. And when I was fishing all the time in the spring and he used to, he was still working for them before he retired, we'd touch base each day at the end of the day and compare notes. Well, one of the things he told me that I found was really interesting. He told me, you know, Kevin, with doing that netting, like when they net in the lakes, uh, for spawn and do like, you know, cause the hatchery was right there. And, um, he told me when he was actually getting the females in the nets and they were doing the tags when they do that, the pit tag, he told me they had like a 0%, 0% recapture in that net. Now what that, what he was trying to explain is he's like, so what I'm telling you is that experience for them, people want to say about the pea-sized brain and so on, which we all know how smart that little brain is, that whatever it was, was enough trauma for them, they never were recaptured. Now, he did that netting result study for, I think he told me it was like something, 10, 12 years. Um, they got none. Now, the thing is, you could just tell it was that, it was unique to that area. Now, they would catch them in other nets up the lake or on the other side of the lake and so forth somewhere where they did not have that experience, but there was absolutely no recaptures in that same net from any of them that they've had. Hmm. That's crazy. So that that proves, you know, that sometimes when fish are tampered with, they'll move somewhere else, you know, that's mind blowing. Isn't it? Well, based on conversations I've had out on some of the guys on green Bay, I hate to always talk about Green Bay, but I'm familiar with it, seeing as though it's pretty much in my backyard. I had a conversation just recently with uh, Jeff Vandermortel. He said that you would have days out there where the fishing would be bad. He's like, no particular reason why, but then he's like, the next day you'd go out there and there would be fish everywhere. And he thinks that it's just new groups of fish moving into these structures because they get harassed so much that, you know, a new pack would come in. They would get harassed or caught, and then they would hit the road, and then so the fishing could be a little bit slow for a day or two because that that pack took off. They're not still there anymore because of the, you know, the constant pressure that he's seen. And he said that's what he thinks is happening out on on Green Bay is those fish move in, you catch them because they're there, and then once they're once they get harassed a little bit too much or they get caught, then they hit the road, and fishing might be slow till another pack comes into the into the area and. Based on what I know on Green Bay fish, those fish are definitely pack hunters. I mean, they, if you catch one, you might as well stick around. There's a chance you're going to catch more. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. It's like I say, it, uh, it, it, I'd be curious to see if guys try it, like up your way, uh, if that would happen. Like what would happen if guys did try that? You know, if there's not really hardly anyone doing it, uh, I'd be anxious to hear how that went, you know. If, if guys tried some of that trolling out in open water, because I'm sure if we do it here, like I said, I'm sure it could happen there uh, as long as there's food available, you know? Well, for, so. for me, sometimes it'd just be about wanting to get off the a program that I know already works. There's certain lakes I can go to, I mean, starting now, and I know if I go play around on the weed edge, I can, I can catch muskies there. So mm-hmm. do, do I gamble on something I'm unfamiliar with, or do I stick with, you know, what I've already known and done? Well... A lot of times for me, if time's limited, I'm only going to have, you know, whatever, a day or two on the water for the next two weeks. I'm going to go with what I know and have a better shot at catching muskies. I mean, I still can catch quality fish there, 
but I'm not going to go and play with a new pattern just because time is limited. And I'm assuming that's how it is with a lot of these anglers that are out there. They're they're going to go with what they're familiar with. You know, as Carrie always says, talks about fishing memories. Well, that's what they're going to do. They're going to go to places they've caught muskies and they're going to hopefully reproduce the same patterns that they've reproduced in, you know, past years. And so I think that's the problem with us as muskie anglers for you. It's nice because you get a chance to get out and, you know, explore a little bit and get all over the place. So for you, if you want to burn a day and go try something new, it's, it could, it can yield, you know, lots of results. Whereas for, you know, your weekend warrior, he's probably not going to go out and necessarily try that. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what happens to me a lot is it's a lot of times I end up doing it from fishing other places. Then I come home and apply it somewhere, you know, and like, that's what happens for me. For me, it's like a, the opposite. I, I feel like once I know something, I feel like, well, I already have that in the back pocket. So I could always lean on that if need be. But like the one line I say, I feel like I t- I've told plen- uh, quite a few lodge owners this, that I've told uh, when I've been up there, I said, you know, if nobody's doing it, then you don't know how it is. Right. Because there's been times I've been certain places and I literally have, I don't see a musky boat all week. So when you ask how it is, well, you're not gonna know if nobody's doing it. Right. So if nobody's fishing deeper, you're not going to hear a report, you know, it's just the way it is. So, I've always tried to think of that. I'm like, well, if nobody's doing this, I should at least give it a shot, you know? And that's kind of how I stumbled on that new reservoir thing that I've been trying. And like I said, I was all alone, you know? Nobody was doing it. So, and I used to be one of those same people <laughs> that never was doing it, you know? But it's neat. I, I think the feeling, uh, it's like that when you do something like that and you score doing it, it's like, man, the, the reward seems greater too. So like, I'm always looking for that. You know, I love trying something new and I don't know. I have to, I guess I've just always been into that. So it, it'd be interesting to see, you know, and like I say, if the fish are getting hit hard, I'm sure it could work, you know? So I would say probably 10, 15 years ago, I used to be more into the trying something new. I was on, I mean, you know, that open water thing, you know, even just casting it, not trolling it. I'd go out in the middle and I'd cast on a few different lakes and I'd have pontoon boats looking around me like, what's this guy doing out here? And mm-hmm. I, I scored good results doing it because I, you know, I, I had more time then. I had less kids, less responsibilities. I think 15 years ago, I just kind of started going on my own electrically. I wasn't super busy. You know, it was weird. I actually had a... I had a brand new Ranger 619. I got to go fishing all the time. And now I, now I fish in my little uh, Lund Fury XL, and I don't get to go fishing nearly as often. It's weird because I wasn't that busy at work, but I had enough time and enough money to have a nice boat and have time to go fishing. So I sort of went backwards right. in the last 15 years. It's weird how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to do that. Like you say, you, you do what time allows. But if time allows for, you know, you got to go with what you know and do what your best shots are putting the fish in the boat that you already know. Are. I don't blame you there at all, you know? But I loved so. it. I, I used to look at, you know, they have these sportsman connection books. They probably have them all around the, the country, I'd imagine. But they have them for, you know, Wisconsin. And I would pick, and they'd have like three different areas in Wisconsin. So I would have one for every area. I would literally pick out different lakes out of that book, read up about them, do some research on them, check stocking data, you know, go check out all these little different lakes. And I love doing it. I just wish, I wish time allowed. Cause that, you know, like you said, that's fun. I wish I had more time in September. I always wish September was twice as long so that you could play around with all this different stuff that you want to try instead of going back to the, you know, to the same old wells that you've gone before just to try to put muskies in the net. It's just, you know, just one of those things, not enough time. Yeah. 
It is. Too many lakes and not enough time. Always. It's always how it is. It is. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I've actually, you know, one thing I have tried a, a few times here recently, uh, last couple years anyways, uh, when you talk about going to new, new holes, I just got real into the trout waters all the, you know, I've always been interested, but like my wife and I have been going on trips now, uh, that we just basically fly up, do a rental boat. We're fishing Northwest Ontario, uh, pretty simple electronics. I have no, you know, waypoints, no nothing, right? Just basic stuff in a rental boat, bring a few rod holders if there isn't some on the boat and been trolling. And it's funny to see like how different that is compared to like what I'm doing on our lakes, but there I'm busting out the 12 inch boss minnows and uh, 13 inch grandmas and, you know, big 12 inch headlock, matlock. And that's all I bring. You know, I may throw a wishmaster or a big hose bait in the boat or something just to try something, a big deep dive or two. But, uh, it's funny cause I'm out there and I really don't see anyone, you know? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I really don't like, I've seen maybe one or two boats that, uh, over a three week span last three years. That's all I've seen. Um, but I'll tell you, we're out there just kind of literally exploring with the, you know, they give you a map at the lodge and you go out and you look, you troll around and mark stuff and see what looks good to you. And, you know, it, it's fun being in that clear water and, uh, I'm still pulling deeper there. It's not like the, you know, some of the same Northwest Ontario trolling bites that I know of. It's a little more, you're getting your baits down there a little bit, like more like 20 down and stuff. And, uh, Oh, it's just like to get one there. It's so rewarding. Like, I just love that. Now that's kind of bit into me lately. I feel like I'm all in on those trout waters. Like I want to fish every one of them if I can, you know, I really want to. So that's been something new for me that I've really been enjoying. And I'm hoping I get a chance to come up this fall and do it again. But with the way things are looking at the border, it's looking like that's probably out. I didn't cancel it yet, but I still have the trip booked. And as of now, I, I always usually go to Georgian Bay once or twice a year. And I don't think that's going to happen either. Um, sometimes the St. Lawrence and, you know, so with the no Canada thing, I, I may be just pounding out the reservoirs and, and uh, New York for this season. But I'll tell you, that is one thing I've really enjoyed is going up and doing that. It's something about like going back in time with the simple electronics and none of the latest and greatest and flying in a plane with two planos of baits, you know? So that's like been my new thing lately for the fall. So Kevin, we've talked a lot about location and we've talked a little bit about baits and water temperatures and things like that. Why don't you talk a little bit about the gear that you use? Because, you know, you get around, like compared to most of the muskie anglers we talk to, they're very regional and you are very not. I mean, there's certain times and this year has been a little bit different for you, but for the most part, you're probably one of the more well-traveled traveled anglers that we talk to. You want to talk a little bit about gear and maybe in the different places that you fished? Yes. Um, yeah, I'll start with like for, for my home lakes and uh, for Fish of New York, uh, for 90% of my fall fishing around home, that's pretty simple. I pretty much troll convector 30s uh i use i still have some uh the shimano takota 500 line counters those are the two main reels i still have a few daiwa sea line 27 actually i got one from brad years ago in 2010 that i'm still using <laughs> so i i still use my old 27 lcs i still like those uh, that's what i'm using around home however and i i pretty much just running braid 
Uh, I do mix my lines. I use two with 80 and two with 50 if I'm running four boat rods. Uh, and I do that just for separation, right? So the baits aren't close to each other. So I'll have a side rod with 80 and a back rod with 50 and go around the boat. You know, the next rod will be 80 and that other side will be 50. So I've always done that for as long as I've been fishing. I've just always done that. And around home, I'm just using like regular stealth, uh, 80 pound fluorocarbon leader for the most part, stay lock snaps and rod wise. I use those tiger ugly sticks for back rods, um, and some like eight foot Shimano TDRs. And then my side rods, I'm running like 10-foot uh, McGizzy. I have like a 10-foot two-piece McGizzy and a 10-foot uh, two-piece heavy action ugly stick. Like that takes care of what I do around home. But once you get to like the specialty, I call the specialty places, the trips I really look forward to, uh, that's where you, you need some specialized equipment. Uh, I fish Georgian Bay every year. I have since 2006. Uh, and there it was a totally different animal. Like right away, I kind of switched the rods. I had to get, I had a, uh, a custom X, uh, real heavy action, like glass rod. Uh, it was one of the first things I bought. And, uh, I put the, you know, the twilly tip on it. Um, cause I realized there you're running, you know, we're trolling a lot of rocks and there's just, you know, you got reefs and rock st- structures everywhere. Uh, and I was not, didn't feel like losing hundred some dollar periwinkles and marge baits and Frankies and things of that nature. So I, uh, quickly realized after the first few trips, okay, the braid, the braid's out for me. So I got the wire line and started running the single strand Monel, uh, in like 30 and 45 pounds. I got both, you know, I have two reels now, uh, both with that. And I just, you know, I know you could just tie right to like an Aussie snap or something. Some guys do that. I still run leaders myself. It's just, I always have. So what we do is we just tie five foot long, uh, that I'm not using floor up there. I use five foot long, just like the piano wire, like you use for a jerkbait leader. And I use a stay lock snap, uh, the number five coming off of my wire, a haywire twist, uh, onto the snap. And then I attach that to my leader and I have another number five stay lock that I attach to the bait. So like, that's a real specialty equipment place there, you know, like you're using that kind of line. I use bigger reels. I'll use like pen. I still have a few pen line counters, uh, the 320 GT line counters. Uh, but I'll use the, I still have an Akuma that I use, but it's a 45 size. So bigger equipment, big, heavy glass rods. Uh, twilly tips and wire line and wire leaders. Uh, and one thing else, speaking of specialized equipment, definitely a place you're going to want to, you know, you want leashes on your rods for sure. Uh, like I got some of those brotherhood bait leashes now and I have them in both my boats. Uh, but that's a heck of an insurance plan for especially a place like that. I've had numerous down east break and the rod goes flying out. Uh, I actually got a video with the leash shaving it. Um, so those are all things you really got to consider having that stuff if you're going to do that type of trolling. And even now guys are coming out with some heavier rod holders. So that's a newer thing that I just, uh, just getting into. So won't have to carry the spare down each parts anymore because the, the holder itself likes to spread and I've had them crack and bust. So, um, that's a pretty specialized trolling equipment place. The, the, the most specialized one that I fish for sure. Um, and then like when I go to say, 
like a place like uh, like going northwest Ontario, there uh, I, I go back to my same like the ten foot ugly sticks will work fine, or like the ten foot. Uh, you know, I like a little bit of glass in the rod for the late season. You know, I, I don't really use too much with graphite with the cold. Uh, but uh, those those ten foot ugly sticks are fine up there in Northwest Ontario. I I can get away with braid mainly because I think I'm trolling a little slower speeds. And if I do come up on something and bounce, you know, I know where my baits are. So even if I bounce, uh, I don't have an issue, you know, with busting lines and stuff. And about the only thing there I run different is I have ran fluoro. I'll run like a hundred pound, 120 pound fluoro. Just, I beef that up a little bit. Um, and the other thing is I'll do, uh, I still will use some wire leaders there too, but I'll just do like 174 pounds and I'll tie those up five foot if the lake I'm fishing is more rocky. But that's pretty much about it as far as the equipment, anything specialized. The only other place I go that I change equipment again would be St. Clair. You know, I go St. Clair in December and uh, then is like the only place I still use mono. Uh, I'll spool them up with 40 and 50 pound big game and just use heavier fluorocarbon, hundred pound again or bigger. And then like number five stay locks and stuff. But the rod and reels, I'm just using like eight foot TDRs. And, uh, as far as the reel goes, the Okuma convector 30 spooled with monos about the mainstay for me up there. How long a leaders are you generally using? You said five foot with some wire. But uh, when you're going fluorocarbon, are you doing five foot again? Or are you doing three, four? What, what do you do, Kev? I'm usually running uh, 48 inch. I'm usually running four foot leaders. I feel like about all the ones I use on those trips are at least four. The only place I go longer is St. Clair, uh, mainly because of that eel grass and things like that. Just, you know, the fact that you're putting them out on boards, you know, those other places I was just talking, you know, Northwest Ontario and the Bay and St. Lawrence and stuff, we're just running boat rods and uh, not quite as necessary with putting the rods in the water to catch some of the grass and things like that nature. But once you start setting lines out on a big planer board and mass system, uh, that's about the only place in the fall that I will run. I'll run some like if I'm running an eight foot rod, like TDR, I'll use a six foot or six and a half foot leader sometimes. So I still have enough room to get it in the net, but it helps a ton in the fall when you're setting multiple baits out and it's cold as heck and you don't want to be dealing with all that yield grass. So I'll put the little weed catchers or like, I know they make those now, like guys, some guys sell them, or we used to use the weed hooks and cut the barbs off and cut the hooks, the shanks, you know, and just use it. We'd put a split ring on it just to catch weeds. We'd put it on the bottom of that ball bearing on the leader, you know, um, just to help catch weeds. And I'd run like a six and a half foot leader there. That's probably the only place I run up that long. All the other ones though, by my, my standard is four foot, you know, the, the bay we just run five because of the rocks are so bad and, if you're really crashing stuff, that extra foot of security is about the only reason we do that, you know? Yeah, that makes total sense, Kevin. When are you using the wire and, and why? Because I'm going to guess there's a few listeners out there that probably don't know about wire. And if you could go in a little bit more depth about that, I think it'd be good. Okay. Um, yeah, I use the wire like when I'm, when we're 
trolling faster in the fall with like the big, these would be like the big heaviest pulling baits that I feel like a lot of guys buy, but not too many guys really truly put time on them. But any of that big periwinkle, blue water, Frankie, marge bait, hose bait, deep diver style, when you start pulling that kind of stuff and you're doing more like crashing shoals, not like just gradually bumping them. When you, when your drag's ripping out, when you're bouncing shoals and stuff like that, and you're fishing like an aggressive style, but you got to get, you're fishing deeper water and it's all rocky, you know, pretty drastic edges. I mean, you watch your locator and it looks like a roller coaster ride, you know, it's like the most erratic bottom I've ever seen. Well, if you don't run wire, what'll happen is you will, you'll come across one and you'll just, you'll look and your rods just lay in there limp, you know, and, and hopefully you catch it in time to go back and get your bait. But there's two problems. A is, you know, the baits are expensive and B, if that happens a few times, you're going to be respooling in the cabin at night. So with that Monel wire, like the single strand Monel wire, I, I put mine on in 2006 and I think I've respooled it maybe once. You don't really break it. Uh, it does not break. The only way you'll break it is if you kink it. So like if you get snagged, like and you're sending a lure knocker down, you got to keep it super taut. But that's about the only way you'll break that stuff is if you if you kink it. But as far as trolling and bouncing rock and stuff, I mean, you got to watch it um, if you see it getting all nicked up and stuff. But like mine, it's pretty tough stuff. So that's the main reason. When you're trolling a more aggressive style in the fall and pulling hard pulling baits, the wire is king for that, you know? It just is. Nothing else will hold up and last like that. And and it also helps for getting the baits. There's nothing that's going to have a bait that deep, that quick. So it's the most direct line off the boat. You need the least amount of line. Uh, and it's very good for when you're wanting to achieve depths, especially at speed. You know, I mean, it keeps the bait down. So there's, uh, there's that too. But yeah, definitely as far as not losing your equipment, that's the way to go. I mean, sometimes I'll just check the next day and I'll look at my haywire twist above my stay lock where I actually attach the wire. And if it's all gnarly and nicked up pretty bad, even though it's fine, I'll give it a pull test. But even if it's fine, I'll sometimes just retie and do another one. But throughout a course of a week trip up there doing the rock bouncing, sometimes I'll only, I'll only cut or tie like once or twice at most, you know? So it's really tough stuff. It is. Yeah, the new so. thing about it, too, is it, it does sing some as well. And uh, that sing, I think, you know, I've heard from a lot of different people that that sing will actually attract some fish at times like that humming that it does yeah that's what i'm talking about yep yeah i i think so i mean i especially like you'll be in places where it almost like maybe calls them in a bit like especially like low density fisheries um it seems like whatever that is there is an attraction there like you said that singing it does help so i've seen no no downside it takes a little getting used to it first when you first put it out and you see the shiny silver, you're like, oh man, you know, and you're in this clear water and you're thinking, oof, you know, people talk about having like invisible line and all this fluoro and stuff. And it's like, you get out there and you see this shiny line and it's like, oh man, gin clear water. But I, like you said, the depth, the strength, and then there is something to that sound. I, I think it does have like an attraction quality and it may be called, I think it just piques the curiosity enough to come over and look and, 
maybe you're just in luck that they happen to be looking when your 10 inch bait goes driving by their face. You know, I think there's that. I think it like calls them into your spread, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. For sure. One, one other question I have is how do I get my hands on a large March? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. I was just fishing with him last week. I know I, I still fish with Dave. I fish with him every year a couple of times and uh, people are always asking and uh, it's a tough one for sure. I only have one. I got like the first, one of the first large marshes ever made. Uh, but boy, that's a tough bait to come across. Problem with him is he doesn't really make them anymore. Like once in a while he will, but you know, he'll make them for his friends and things like that. But he's not really a true, he's not about like selling baits, you know? So that's where it's hard. The way to find one now is secondhand market. If you're going to find one, you know, but I could maybe ask him if I tell him it's for you and I tell him you're going to fish it, he'll probably, he might make one, you know? I, so. I actually got to run one one time with Tony Spicker, but uh, it's a it's a really cool bait, and I, I would play with it, that's for sure. Yeah, I got one quick story I'll tell you about it. The one I got, uh, the, they were testing depths with it on Georgia Bay, and uh, they actually, uh, my friend Dave got it down 62 feet just on, you know, flat lining. He flatlined it out and was checking depths and got it to 62 feet. And they saw the, the rock on the graph and he hit it once. He watched it and the drag tripped out a little bit. He turned around, went back over it to make sure, put it out the same length, hit again at 62 feet. And then they were driving along a little ways further talking about, wow, I can't believe we got it that far down. And the reel goes off. So there's one for you for, uh, you hear stories about 30 foot down, 35 foot down, like St. Lawrence. I know they've done some studies where some fish have came deep, uh, like in the, you know, Clayton area and stuff and 40 acre and so forth. But, uh, I've read some studies on that, but I never really heard much about one that deep, but I guess they said it was a 46 incher that hit the large, it's the large mark that I got. It hit the bait and they said it was 62 foot down and the fish come up like it swallowed a buoy, <laughs> you know, cause you know, the size of that bait, once they got the boat stopped, the fish just came right up. But luckily they said the water was cold. This was in the late fall. And uh, they had no problems at all. Like the fish swam off fine, which I was, I didn't even think a muskie would be down that deep, but it was 62 foot down and it caught one. So it's one of the deepest I know of. Totally amazing. That's, that's yeah. absolutely cool. Huh. Yep. So. Crazy, crazy. Well, Kevin, we just want to thank you again for coming out and sharing some knowledge with us. It's always a pleasure having you on. And I, I mean, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know you're a busy guy. I know, I know your buddies give you a hard time about not working, but I, I still do believe that you are a busy guy, whether you're working or fishing. So, Oh, yeah. No, I am. Yeah, I thank you guys again for having me on, like I said, and I, I enjoy doing them. So it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Well, you know, thanks again. And, uh, I hope you have a great fall and, you know, we'll be in touch next time we're in touch though. We're probably gonna have to talk to your wife. I heard that she's got some good stories too. So we'll have to talk to her one of these days. Oh yeah, she does. Yeah. You guys are totally welcome. Like I say, I hope you guys have a good rest of your fall and, uh, send some pics if you get some fish out deeper anyways, just, to, just in case I'd love to see that if that works, if you try it, if you get a chance. Well, not to delay the podcast a lot longer. That is my plan for the, whatever I get out for late September, or October. That's my plan. I'm going to, I think I'm going to put the casting rods away early this year. And that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go 
trolling and gamble and see what happens. Try some new stuff when I'm out on the water. I should hopefully be able to get out enough in September and October. I hope. I mean, late September. We'll see. Good deal. Yeah, good deal. Good luck to you guys. Like you said, have a good rest of your season, both of you. Yep. So. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Kevin. I really appreciate your time. And uh, like always, it's a great time to talk to you. Yes, it was. Yeah, you're very welcome. We'll be talking soon. Sounds like a plan. All right, we'll see you guys.